Praise God. How many of you know what transformation is? Transformation is change. Transformation is to go through metamorphosis. Transition is a, is a similar word. Is it uh, Colossians, where I'm preaching today, that talks about being transported? In fact, the Bible said, Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear son? Boy, translated us. Amen. That's a, that's a great word, and it talks about coming out of a situation and entering into another. Coming out of who hath delivered us from the power of darkness. We know what darkness is. That's ignorance about God. It's, it's a refusal. It's rebellion. All kind of uh, words used to describe darkness. The Bible said, ye are not of the darkness. You're the light. Amen. You're the children of light. Amen. And if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. Well, that's a great word, translated. I believe everybody sitting in this house this morning is translated. Translated from the old man to the new man which in God is created in righteousness and in true holiness, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and changed us into his marvelous light, into the kingdom of God's dear Son. Praise the Lord. That's good, good stuff. And so we're talking about a church at Colossae that were people who had been translated from the darkness of pagan worship and from the darkness of the philosophies of the rudiments of this world, and were translated into the spiritual realm, translated into the household of God. No more foreigners, no more strangers, now you're children of God. And he's telling them why they ought to be thankful, and why they ought to be, uh, have gratitude and thanks to God because of what God has done in their life. And they know that in part, we all know in part now, but then face to face, we shall know as we are known. And the problem is we see through a glass darkly. Amen. And because we see through a glass darkly, we can never comprehend the totality and the completion of a description of God's person and God's character. We know that his nature is love and that everything God does, he does because of his nature. Out of his nature, salvation came into the world. God so loved the world that he gave his son. So then love is the motivation for God. And no one of us can describe God's love. There's just not enough words to, in the English language to really give uh, adequacy to knowing who God is. And the Bible just simply says, God is love. What a powerful statement those three words uh, are. And they let us know that God is a loving, merciful, forgiving, gracious, kind, tender God. And he's our heavenly father. Praise the Lord. And we are his children. So then how, the Bible said, how shall we then live? Knowing this, how shall we then live? Direct your attention to Colossians chapter 2 if you would like to read eight verses with me. Would you like to stand one more time and stretch yourself just a little bit, amen, before we preach? You want to sit for a little while, so you might ought to stretch a little bit. Besides, the Word of God deserves your respect. 
I said the word of God desires your request. For I would that you knew what good great conflict I have for you and for them at Laodicea and for as a man have not seen my face in the flesh. In other words, I've never met you. you. I've never come into your presence where you were in a congregation. I've not preached to you. But he said, I have something in common with you and that is that we're servants of the living God. You've never seen my face in the flesh that their hearts might be comforted being knit together in love and unto all riches of the full assurance of understanding. Somebody say understanding. All of the riches of the full assurance of understanding to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God and of the Father and of Jesus Christ in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge And this I say, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words. For though I be absent in the flesh, yet am I with you in the spirit, joying, somebody say joying, joying and beholding your order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. As ye have therefore received Christ, Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him, rooted and built up. Is anybody built up? I said, is there anybody in this house built up? Is there anybody in this house that's rooted? You're not easily shaken. You're not easily blown away by by something. You've got deep roots. You've got a firm foundation. Praise the Lord. Rooted and built up in him and established wow what a word in faith that ye have been taught abounding therein with thanksgiving beware lest any man spoil you through vain deceit after the traditions of men after the rudiment of the world and not after christ lord add to your blessing the reading of the word of god and now touch our hearts as we examine these materials of thanksgiving and how i've Believer can benefit and guard his heart lest we be deluded by the philosophies of this world. Help us now, Lord, with keen understanding and attention to the Word of God. Learn how to guard by thanksgiving. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. You may be seated. God bless you. Imagine for a moment if you were like, Paul was. This is a prison epistle. It's written from a place of confinement. It's written from a small cell in the innermost prison in Rome, and it's written to the Colossian church, church that was translated out of the darkness into his marvelous light that were made members of the family of God. Imagine that uh, your city, say Anniston, Alabama, Say it was surrounded by enemy forces who aimed to destroy and to, and to conquer. Suppose that there is an a enemy that uh, would like to do terrible damage and uh, cause conflict and hurt and destruction in his way and was surrounding the city. And suppose that you discover that there's a song which the enemy and his sympathizers, did you know the enemy has sympathizers? You know what sympathizers are, don't you? You saw them this week on your television screen. 
sympathizers, sympathizers with Hamas, sympathizers with hate, sympathizers with evil, sympathizers with murder. Come on, somebody. And we all scratched our head and said, what in the world is you, are you thinking? In the very bastion of intelligence at uh, institutes of technology and uh, Ivy League schools that are known for their uh, great intelligence and how a degree from their school kind of puts you at a top level as being a, a very uh, informed person. And we saw students and teachers alike uh, marching in support of Hamas, a radical, rebellious group that has the goal of destroying and murdering and killing what they call infidels. And that's because that we don't accept Islam and we don't accept uh, the uh, things of the, of the Muslim faith and, and we believe in Jesus Christ and we believe in the Abrahamic covenant and the Mosaic covenant and we believe the promises and the blessings to uh, Abraham's children. We claim all of those as people of God and we, we believe those things. So in actuality, those people are enemies of the Christian faith. And how could anyone march, you know, with some degree of intelligence as they have that you'd have to call them sympathizers? They sympathize. And did, did you know the devil loves to infiltrate our ranks with sympathizers? Amen. That they will embrace uh, discord and will embrace deceit and will embrace things that we should never embrace as people of God. That we should always support the truth and should always support the Word of God as the final authority on uh, all of our information about how to love God and how to serve God and, and to know God. But if you could find there were a song that you could sing that the devil hates so bad that every time he heard that song, he would retreat. That every time that that, that song would be sung, then the enemy would be threatened and would, would uh, flee. Is there such a song? I would like to submit to you that there is such a song as that. What is it, Pastor? It's the one we call the Thanksgiving song. It's in Psalm 100. If you've uh, never read that, that passage, you need to commit to doing that. It says this, shout triumphantly to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with celebration. Come before him with shouts of joy. Come before him with shouts of joy. Enter into his presence with singing, the Bible says, and be thankful to him. Be thankful to him. We are his people. We are the sheep of his own pasture. Enter his gates with thanks. Enter his courtyards with praise. Thank him and bless his name because the Lord is good. His loyal love lasts forever and his faithfulness lasts from generation to generation. That should be the song of every redeemed person. You need to commit that to memory so that you can repeat that. Why, Pastor? I'm telling you, it's because the devil hates that song. The devil despises all of his imps and all of the hordes of hell despise thanksgiving to God. Any worship, any praise, any amount of shouting for joy, the devil is against that. He hates it because he covets it himself. He wants to be worshipped himself. That's what got him kicked out of heaven. 
Amen. He wanted to be as God. He wanted to have the same power and the same authority as, as God. And the Bible said sin was found in him. You were a choice cherub. You were a, a person that was important to the praise. You, led, you were supposed to lead the praise. You were supposed to lead the Thanksgiving service. You were supposed to be in charge of all the worship and the praise and the music and all the rejoicing. And that, that was your, your, your department. That was in your portfolio. But sin was found in you. And the problem of that sin, the Bible and other passages calls it pride. He was so proud that he wanted the glory. He wanted the praise. He wanted the worship. Amen. And God understood what that was all about. And the Bible said that he was cast out of heaven. He was rejected because he wanted the praise that was due our heavenly father. So when you sing your song of thanksgiving, the devil is very much aroused by that. He doesn't like it. He won't stay in the room where someone's praising God. He won't stay around. He won't hang around when the Holy Spirit is coming down and the presence of God is being felt. Amen. When the redeemed of the Lord are singing, I'm redeemed, he hates to hear that because he'd rather you be giving some kind of credit or some kind of merit to him. But when you sing songs that give glory to God, the devil despises that and he fights you on that. But I want to tell you, there's a song you can sing in Psalm 100, and you can talk and sing about being thankful. You can sing it on your way to work. You can sing it while you're working. You can sing it out of your hospital room. You can, you can sing it over at the funeral parlor. You can sing it when you're up, and you can sing it when you're asleep. You can sing it at all times of the day, in the afternoon, in the evening, in the nighttime, in the morning. You can sing that song of praise and worship to God, and the devil, the enemy, has to flee from you. That's why the Lord loves thankful people. That's why the Lord loves people that understand that we're saved by grace through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. It's the gift of God. Thanks be to God. What was that verse that we quoted? I believe it was last Sunday in 1 Corinthians 15, 54, 58. I believe the 58th verse is that says, thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Can you believe that God is, uh, honors and blesses people who understand that victory comes from the Lord Jesus, from our Heavenly Father, through the power of the Holy Spirit? Greatest thing you can do when you come to God's house, sing the song of praise. Sing the song of praise. And in this instance, he said, shout for joy. All the earth, let us sing. Power and majesty unto our King. Praise the Lord. All hail the power of Jesus' name. Let angels prostrate fall. Bring forth the royal diadem and crown him, crown him Lord of all. Praise God. To God be the glory. I said to God be the glory. Pray God be the glory for the things he has done. He hath done great things. Is there anybody in this house that can say, He hath done great things? Is there a person in this house that can testify and say, God has done great things in my life? 
done great things in my life. Just let me live my life and let it be pleasing, Lord, to thee. And should I gain any praise, let it go to Calvary with his blood. He has saved me with his power. He has raised me. Glory to God. To God be the glory for the things he has done. Anybody else sing that song? For the things he has done. Thanksgiving. What a way to live. To live my just let me live my life. Let it be pleasing, Lord, to thee. Well, I want to tell you we are surrounded by an enemy this morning that is connected to the curse of the original sin. The original sin is just what I talked to you about. When the devil was cast out of heaven, cast out into the earth, the Bible said next thing he did is try to mess with God's people. Next thing you know, He's painted a picture of deceit and misunderstanding. And the original couple bought that deceitfulness and bought that line of thinking. And next thing you know, they had fallen out of fellowship with God and found themselves being ejected from the garden. And that sorely hurt the heart of God. God was so, so crushed by Adam's sin and that what we call the inherited sin. It came from Adam and it came upon all the earth. And you know, we fuss and we think about China. Now I can remember our president saying, China, China. I want to tell you, it didn't originate, COVID didn't originate in China. It originated in a garden called Eden. It originated when God said, there's a punishment. I put you here to live forever. I put you here to be always, have eternal life. I put you here in a paradise. I only had one rule, and that is not to eat of a certain tree. But because iniquity was found in you, and sin was found in you, and because Satan deceitfully slimed and slithered his way into the garden and deceived our parents. And the Bible said, for by one man's sin, death entered into all the world. By one man's transgression, by one man's disobedience, sin came upon all of the world. But the rest of that verse says, but by one man's obedience... And now you hear the contradiction of, the, of that verse. It, it flips right in the middle of the verse. It first talks about how one man's disobedience brought about death and suffering and pain and heartache and sorrow and loss. Even so, by one man's obedience obtained we salvation through the death of his cross. Oh, my God, can I tell you, Jesus won back for us everything that we lost in the garden. Can I tell you that Jesus won a victory for every one of us? 
and brought us out of the darkness of our sin and the darkness of our bondage and the darkness of our ignorance, not knowing God, into the wonderful light of his presence, under the light, uh, under the wonderful light of knowing him in the free pardon of sin, knowing that we have eternal life that is promised to us through the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, what promises abound. And there ought to be abounding praise and thanksgiving for the abounding works of the Spirit of God. Yes, it was at the garden where COVID originated and all sickness, all suffering, all pain originated right there. The, re the result of, of sin it's cursed. Wow. To read that, that passage where Adam confessed and he said, Behold, thou hast driven us out. One of the sons of the family, Cain, said, A fugitive and a vagabond shalt thou be in the earth. And the Bible said, The Lord set a mark upon Cain, lest any finding him should kill him. Death, destruction, hurt, all the wars that you see in the world today, they're the result of what happened in that garden. All the famine, all the hurt, all the murder, all the crime, all the wars, all the pestilence, and all of those things, that, that is the result of what happened in the garden. It's the result of, and, and by, the Bible even said the ground was cursed. Nature, all the earth, and the Bible said, and now all of nature groans and moans for the day of redemption. Amen. All this earth, the sea, hallelujah, the mountains, the valleys, the beautiful vistas, all the handiwork of our great God is groaning today in anticipation of that day of deliverance when the devil, the final enemy, will be destroyed. Praise God. When God, with all of the, the angels of heaven following him and all of the redeemed of the Lord return and put to naught and destroy all the things the devil has done. Won't that be a great day? Won't that be a fabulous time when God does the greatest of works for all of his people? Wow. I want to be there, don't you? So God gave us this song that we can sing, and it's called that song of thanksgiving and the song of thanks living. I want to hasten to tell you that that song of thanks and that song of praise can be sung by every redeemed person, every person that knows the Lord. Amen. Sometimes I sing it while I'm driving down the highway on the interstate. Sometimes I sing it when I'm lining up a putt on a golf course. Sometimes I, I sing it when I'm getting ready. I, sometimes I, I sing it when I go to bed at night. I lay in the bed last night. I bet I sung 30 minutes before I went to sleep. What do you sing, Brother Jerry, when you're laying in a bed waiting to go, Oh, victory in Jesus. Wonderful thing I love to celebrate is, Oh, thou that hearest and answers prayer. I, I went to bed singing that last night. I know he heard my prayer. I know he heard all my care. I know his heart is crushed with my grief. Oh, glory to God. I know, yes, I know the Savior heard my prayer. He'll hear your prayer. 
and he'll give you a song. Have you got a song? You know what happened to the children of Israel when they were captured and carried uh, abroad and had to leave their homes and leave their families and, and leave all that was in Jerusalem and go into captivity? And they got them over in, in, uh, in, in, in Babylon, it is, which is today Iran. Got them over in Babylon. And uh, the Bible said that they came around to the people of God and said, sing us a song. Oh, I hear that you, you Jewish people are great singers. I understand y'all got a songbook that you call the Psalms. I, I, I hear that y'all y'all are wonderful praisers that you shout and that you rejoice and you praise and you do it loud. You make a big thing out of it. Sing us a song. Sing us a song. And you know what they said? They said, how shall we sing the Lord's song? Because of all that has happened to us, because of the disgrace and the shame and the humiliation of being carried away as prisoners and slaves and bond people, we have no reason to sing. We have no reason to rejoice, no reason to shout. We've lost our song and hung our harps on the willow trees. The devil today is trying to get you to lose your song. The devil would love to take your song away from you today. The devil would like to fix it so you would never feel like singing again. The devil would like to do so much damage in your spiritual life that you'll never have a shout to the Lord with all of your heart. You'll never have a, a praise and lift up a, a loud noise of joyfulness and thanksgiving to him. But don't you ever let the devil steal your song. Don't you ever let the, de let the devil destroy the, your joy and your peace and your happiness that you have in the Lord Jesus. And you can do that, the Bible said, abounding in thanksgiving. Every day abound in gratitude and thanksgiving. Praise God. In fact, the Bible tells us in that same Colossian letter, chapter 4, let the peace of God rule in your hearts. Is the peace of God ruling in your hearts? Oh, Brother Jerry, if you could know all the turmoil that's ruling in my heart. So that battle then is fought in our mind and our hearts and our minds. If the devil can load your mind so completely with hurtful, sorrowful, deceitful things, then he will cause you to lose your song and lose your joy. The night my dad passed, we've been trying to keep him in the bed. Every 15 minutes he'd throw the cover over, and he'd start to get up. And I said, wait a minute, Pop, where are you going? He said, now on to church time. We better get ready if we're going to go to church. I said, no, Dad, that's, this is Monday night. It's Wednesday night we'll go to church. Oh, got back in the bed. It wasn't 15 minutes, Susie, till he threw that cover back and started coming out again. I said, wait a minute, wait a minute, Dad, where are you going? Now on to 7 o'clock, we better get our head in the sack if we're going to go to church, he'd say. And I said, that's Wednesday night, Dad. This is Tuesday night. Oh, okay. He got back in the bed. 
all Wednesday afternoon. He was very low. My sister Regina stood on one side of the bed and I stood on the other one. And we were singing songs like, I won't have to cross Jordan alone. Jesus died all my sins to atone. When the darkness I see, he'll be waiting for me. I won't have to cross Jordan alone. Church started at 7 o'clock down at the Patilla Street Church of God. My dad died five minutes till 7 on Wednesday night. He was just waiting to go to church. I said, he was just waiting to go to church. We filled that room all that Wednesday afternoon with song after song after song of praise and worship and lifting up uh, God and magnifying God and glorifying God. I want to tell you, that's the way righteous people do when, when they leave this world. Amen. That's the way saints of God do. That's the way people that know Christ in a, in a relationship with him, that he is there all and in all. That's the way they leave this world. They leave this world with praise. Don't you lose your song. You're going to need your song somewhere down the road. You're going to need that song. Amen. Joel told me just Wednesday night, he said, Brother Irwin said, when they first said that word cancer, he said, Brother that just blew me away. That, that hit me so hard, that initial confrontation with that word. But he said, after I understood later, said after that kind of calmed down, he said, my whole heart and my life changed, and I knew that I was going to need to trust God like I'd never trusted him before and love him and praise him and worship him like I've never loved him and praised him before. I knew that right then I was going to need to up the ante. I was going to, going to have to get more fervent and more intense about serving him and loving him and more faithful in my commitment to him. Hey, don't ever lose your song. Don't let the devil steal your song. Your song is very important. And don't ever get to a place where you can't sing your song. So my goal today in preaching this message is to persuade you from these scriptures that God has appointed an attitude of gratitude and a life of thanksgiving as an essential guardian of your soul. And so every one of us need to kindle in our hearts a deep feeling of thankfulness to the Lord as we approach these holidays. Oh, yes, there'll be turkeys, and hopefully I'll get some cornbread dressing. Boy, that stuff's to die for. But I want to tell you the greatest thing about Thanksgiving is to be reminded that the reason is because there's a Savior. Upon the backs of the Lord Jesus Christ, victory was won over every disease, every sickness, every infirmity, cancer, leukemia, whatever it is, on the backs of the Savior, the back of the Savior, the stripes for our healing were placed. With his stripes we are healed. Upon his back, we have reason to rejoice. Paul struggled for the Colossians. In fact, he said, I'm in great conflict for you. Did you hear it in that, that first and second verse when he said, I, I struggle for you, for I want you to know how greatly I strive for you and for those at Laodicea, for all who have not yet seen my face. 
We know from 4.10 and 4.18 that the Bible tells us these were prison epistles. And that as he was confined, no doubt, can you imagine to be in a, in a Roman dungeon and you're sitting there in a Roman dungeon and everything, all the news is bad. All the news is that there's a crazy despot of a king that is on the throne and who later did such terrible, his name was Nero. And he had this large knife and he built it and he had it built and constructed in such a way that Christians were led upstairs like these and the knife would lay there and they would cast them upon the knife and oftentimes the knife would slice them in two. He had a place Nero had for what was, was called Nero's chop block. And history tells us that the apostle Paul was killed and murdered and martyred at Nero's chop block out on the Appian Way outside the street, outside the walls of Jerusalem. And you would, you would think that in that frame of mind, knowing this is what's in front of me. You remember what he said to the prophet named Agabus when Agabus said this. He said, the man who owns this cloak, Paul knew it was his. The man who owns this, when he gets to Jerusalem, they're going to kill him. And they're going to do all kinds of hurt. And Paul said, Agabus, I know the Holy Spirit is telling you to tell me that. But I need you to know that I, I'm willing not only to be bound, and I'm willing not only to suffer, and I'm willing not only to give my life, but here's something you need to know. I'm willing to die for the sake of the gospel, and I count it all joy. Are you kidding me? I count it all joy. All the things that people would just go insane sitting in a four by eight cell awaiting to go out there. But thanks be to God, he had some people that would bring him my parchments, he called them, his study materials. And he would write a letter to Colossae. Notice this now, he's in prison waiting to go be executed. And he writes a letter, and he says to all the Colossians, be thankful. Live a life of thanksgiving. Let nobody deceive you with vain philosophies and with the rudiments of the world. Don't read the books that lead anybody away from Jesus as Savior. Don't read any or study any material that doesn't give glory and recognize Jesus as the Savior of the world. Amen. That those are the rudiments and the philosophies of the world. But he said, stay away from all of that. Don't let that deceive you because you'll lose your song. The Apostle Paul wrote these letters in verse 2, Paul tells the reason why he's calling their attention to his struggles. It's that their hearts may be encouraged. That their hearts may be encouraged. It's so interesting to me that Paul is telling Colossian believers, I, have, I am in a spiritual conflict. I'm fighting a spiritual battle, and I'm telling you this so that your heart will be encouraged. Encouraged, how so? Said encouraged to know that somebody who is a believer 
is willing to die for the testimony of the Lord Jesus. That someone who preaches the gospel and who leads in ministry is also a servant of the Lord Jesus and that he counts it joy to give his life that the Lord Jesus and the name of the Lord Jesus can be preached all over the world. I want you to be encouraged. He believes that they know how he is suffering for them. My suffering for your sake, he said, they will be encouraged and strengthened. He's also giving them an example. Brother, we need people that will give an example. That it's not just words that you speak into a microphone. It's not just things you've remembered, remembered and memorized that, that you can recall. No, it's not really that. The real notion is you walk it out in your life, that you live that way. You're the same person at the post office and at the bank as you are at the church. Boy, I just felt a streak of Holy Ghost right then. Praise God. That you're not just one way at one place and another way at another place. That you're faithful, you're consistent. You walk the walk and you live the life. That used to be the great testimony of the church. But I'm telling you, in these last days that we're living, we've almost lost our identity because we want to look like everybody else and we want to fit in and be fashionable and be stylish and all of these things. We want to fit into the mold that the world would like for us to fit in. But I want to tell you, God would tell us, I need some examples. I want to separate people. I want people that will come out from among them and be separate, saith God, that touch not the unclean thing. And God said, and I will receive you, and I'll be a father to you. And you'll be my sons and daughters. Wherefore, having these promises, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and of the spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. God is looking for some examples, some people that will dare to be different in a world of compromise. God's looking for some ecclesia. Ecclesia is the Greek word for church. And it literally means this, called out. Is anybody called in this house? You remember the night you heard the call? You remember that Sunday morning you heard the call? You remember in that prayer closet when you were kneeling there talking to God that you heard the call? The Bible said, for we are called with a holy calling not according to our own works, but according to his eternal mercy hath he saved us with a washing of regeneration and by the renewing of the Holy Ghost. Praise God. God is looking for some men and some women that will stand up and dare to be different. God doesn't want you to just blend in. You won't have a testimony. You won't have an influence if you just be like everybody else. God wants you to be an example. And Paul is setting an example here. And I love this. He said, here's how that works. He said, it works through a knitting together. You see it up there? That your hearts are knit together? How are our hearts knit together? By the thread of love. 
Hallelujah. Knitting together that their hearts may be encouraged as they are knit together in love. I think he means as their hearts are knit together with his heart and with each other's heart. In other words, he's telling them of his sufferings and his struggles, and he hopes that they will feel themselves drawn to him with cords of love. Any of you knit? I heard a I do, but with all you folks sitting here, I didn't know where it came from. One? Only one person in this whole house knits? Wow. That means you take strands that are different in color sometimes, different in texture sometimes, and you start a process of making them a part of a bigger picture. Each one of them may have its own characteristics. Each one may have a different color. Each one may, may have a different function. But as they are knit together, they start taking part. And eventually, you get a quilt. Because you just keep on keeping on. And it used to be so monotonous. My mother used to crochet. And I, I, I would sit her and she'd stick her tongue out when she crochet. She would... I don't know why she stuck her tongue out. I don't know what difference that made, but she'd take that crochet needle and she'd just work on that. And she would make little patterns and she would lay it, but she'd get through with one and she'd lay it over there to the side and she'd pick up another one and she'd get her ball of thread. Lord, how many times have I got that stuff off of there and wound it up on a ball for her so it would roll when she, yeah. And she would make another pattern and she would put it over here and she'd put it up there because it looks like the one that she's making all this knitting for. Everyone was the same. I used to think how monotonous that must be to just keep on adding another piece of that pattern. You, you knit that one the same way you did the last one and you keep putting them over there until you've got the number that you need. And then she starts taking them and she starts putting them together. Do you remember the night that God touched your heart and Jesus started knitting together the things in your life that needed to be present, the things that you'd lay, lay dormant for so long, things that you had never thought had any worth at all, and suddenly the Lord awakened you to those things, and God, when Jesus took my heart all to pieces and he put a little sunshine in, he gave a little love and glory, and he took away my doubt and sin. When Jesus took my heart all to pieces, and he put a little sunshine in. That's old as the hill. You got to have hair the color of mine to know that. But what it is, is that Jesus took every one of us and made us after the pattern, which is the Lord Jesus. And then he took all of these patterns, all of you are sitting here are a pattern, and he started knitting them together. I said he started knitting them together until eventually he had a quilt, and we call it church. So then you are a work of God. I said you are a work of God. And as we 
celebrate Thanksgiving, we ought to say, thank you, God, for the greatest work that ever was done when you knit my heart together and then you put me in the church and made me a part of a quilt. Peter made that same assumption in 1 Peter 1 and 22. It says, seeing ye have purified your souls and obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren, see that ye love one another with a pure heart fervently. You probably would respond, but you say, well, I'm already loving with unfeigned love. Why are you telling me again to love fervently? Why would God tell you to love when you already love? Love one another. I already love one another. The, it, 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 it is because of the two definitions. There's two words for love. My Wednesday night folks can tell you about this one. There's two words. One is a, a, a friendly love, a, a, a love that gives pleasure. It's a love that you like to be around someone. It's a love that uh, when you're with that person, you just feel at ease and you're comfortable in their presence and uh, they uh, have things compatible with you and, and you just have a love for them that it's a, it's a friendly kind of affection. It's a godly thing. The Bible even tells us if you would be friends, you would have friends, you must show yourself friendly. So instead of telling me, I don't have anybody, I don't, well, we'll get somebody and you may have somebody. Get a friend and you may be a friend. Be a friend and you may get a friend. That's the way, the way it works. You're a pattern, he's a pattern. You got to do something about knitting that thing together, get started some way or another. Amen. And the Bible said, greater love hath no man than this, that he'd give his life for a friend. Friendly love is good. It's good. We have a day around here, used to have a day around here, we call friend day when everybody brought a friend. Amen. And it might surprise you, but this church has got some friends. Amen. Got some friends, and we bring friends with us to church. Amen. Maybe we ought to have another friend day. What do you think? Amen. We, we used to have Pack-a-Pew day. You remember Pack-a-Pew? Amen. Lynn, I'd give you that whole line of chairs there to put a person in that, that row. And your goal was get, get, get somebody sitting in every one of those seats. Pack-a-Pew. And you come up and say, Pastor, I've already got my pew packed. Uh, I need some more spaces. And I said, well, just take out another, another pew and pack that one too. Amen. We used to bring friends because, uh, because we liked them. I said, we like them. Now, there are some people that I'm very friendly with, but I don't think they care too much for me. Because they never act friendly toward me. And I guess that's all right, too. But that doesn't give me license to resent those people. In fact, the Bible said pray for them. Yeah, that's what it says. So then this, this friendly love is phileo, P-H-I-L-E-O, phileo. And it means a fond affection for. And that, that's the kind of folks you go see at the hospital when they're in the hospital. And you write them a card when they're, when they're sick or their kids are getting married. You go and you, you know, you know, friends. Why is he writing about telling us to love one another? Because he's talking about a different kind of love. This other love is called agapeo love. 
And that love is a self-sacrificing love. That means you, you, you would give some of yourself to help somebody. It means by loving them, you love them enough that you would give them a kidney. It means by loving somebody that you would make a contribution in their life. So when God talks and Jesus talks about the church and the love that we ought to have one for another, he uses agapeo. And he says we ought to have, I love this little rendition of it, a loyal love. A loyal love. A loyal love, agapeo love is the kind of love that walks in when phileo love walks out. And he's saying to us that the benefits of having this kind of love is that an understanding would be opened up to you. You would know God better. That to, the word is used in such expressions as to be in a friendly way on one side or to oneself in him in a friendly manner. And A.T. Robertson tells us agapeo love is a second kind of love. That love is the result of obedience to the truth through their independence. Now, actually, the way I see is phileo gets you started and you ought to grow into agapeo. In other words, you start off being good friends and that friendship should grow to a place that you feel a bond between someone that you would give of yourself if it meant it to like help them or be a blessing to them. Now think about that just a minute. And it starts out by just being good friends. But that friendship grows from phileo, friendly, till you get to self-sacrificing kind of love. And that's the word that's used for what Jesus did on the cross. He loved. He loved us so much that he gave himself for us. It's like what they teach in the military when a grenade is thrown into a foxhole. And many, many lives have been snuffed out because one soldier sacrificed himself for his friends. Does that make any sense? That's what that kind of agapeo love is. And the Bible tells us those are the words that are used when it talks about God loving us and us loving one another. That if the situation merits it, then we reach a place when somebody needs a friend and no one else is that kind of friend to them. They're friendly, but they're not friends. Their friendship has never grown to the place that they would give something of themselves if called upon to do it. But Charles, that's the kind of love, he said, that Christians ought to have for other Christians. And church ought to have for other church people. Boy, that's a challenge, isn't it? And he said, and if that, that happens, if you, if you do that, then that love will help you understand God better. This is the love, this agapeo love is, is 13. And I, I put it in the wedding ceremony. This love of which I speak, 1 Corinthians Chapter 13, this is the love that suffers long, the love that's kind, love that does not envy, 
The love that does not vault itself and is not puffed up and does not seek his own. The love that is not provoked. The love that thinks no evil. The love that does not rejoice in iniquity but rather in the truth. The love that bears, believes, hopes, and endures all things. That love never fails. And Jesus said this in 1 John 4 and 7. Beloved, John says it, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. So having a spirit of thanksgiving and loving God will help you to know God, help you to know him better. Come on, Olivia, and help me quit. I heard somebody sigh back there. I heard that. <laughs> Knoweth God, to know God. Paul is saying that the riches of assured understanding and knowledge of God's mystery and the treasure, somebody say treasure. The treasure of Christ's wisdom comes into the heads of those whose hearts are knit together in love. Theology is a holy science. And its riches are hidden from unholy people. If you want to know God better, love one another and love your enemies. You mean I can love God better and know God better if I forgive those who trespass against me? You mean that I can grow in maturity? and have greater understanding about the mystery of godliness if I am willing to forgive those who falsely accuse me and use me and abuse me if I have love for them and can forgive them then God reveals more of himself to me and I can know more about him and know him better and understand him better by loving people. If you want to know him better, love your enemies. If you want to know him better, this knowledge is attached to knowing him better. So let's go through the process and then we'll try to find a place to stop. He tells them of his tremendous struggles on their behalf. He tells them that that will knit their hearts to his and to each other and that out of this bond of love would grow a deep and a fully assured understanding of God, and that out of this love and understanding would emerge a strong encouragement of faith, that this encouragement would be a power that guards them from the delusion of beguiling speech. Sacrificial struggle leads to love. Love leads to assured understanding of God. Assured understanding leads to strong encouragement and encouragement guards from delusions. Wow. Stand with me, please. Paul delighted in their faith. He delighted in their knowledge of the Lord. You know, when you dilute something, you decrease its, its power. Say, I like strong coffee. 
I drink it black. I like strong coffee. But I never drank coffee like my dad did. My dad carried around a little bottle of Maxwell Instant Coffee in his pocket. And that when we would brew it at our house, oftentimes Natalie, he'd say, well, you kids just drink stained water. You know, what we found out is the more scoops of coffee that you put in, the stronger that stuff gets. But we found out that if it's after Pop got to drink his, stout it would make a spoon stand up. Then we'd pour some more water in it. And we'd run it through that thing some more, Steve, till we got that thing diluted to the point we could drink it. To dilute means to change the potency, to change the flavor, to change the effect. Everything happens when you dilute something. And that's the first time in studying for this message that I had the indication that the devil wants to dilute not just deceive us not just come in and steal our song but he also wants to dilute us what does that mean he wants to lower the potency he wants to lower the effect and he's found out that if you just keep adding to the solution you can water it down so he's convinced preachers that if you want larger numbers, dilute it down. When I was in administrative work, I would actually go and do church conferences in churches where they wanted another pastor. And come to find out, they wanted to make a deal with him if he'd water it down, if he'd not preach against certain things and certain commodities that that the things would be better and they'd have more people in church if he wouldn't string the plumb line so tight. Now, you may not know what a plumb line is. That's a carpenter's tool and uh, it kind of shows you what straight is. So those preachers that used to preach pretty straight, congregations would feel like he's too straight. And I, I, I would ask them, some, Pastor, did you preach something wasn't in the Bible? No, Brother Jerry, I preached the Bible. You know what I found out over the years, Stephen? Sometimes the Bible is so straight. And I want to tell you, sometimes the Bible just kicks the bark off my shins. Sometimes the Bible just stomps all over my toes. Sometimes the Bible, spiritual food is just really tough for me. Those teachings about forgiveness, those teachings about if a man asks you to go a mile, go two. If he asks you for your coat, give him your cloak also. And if somebody asks you to forgive him, forgive him 490 times. No, it means infinity. It means as many times as they ask. Whew. Well, that's tough. But I found out that in Thanksgiving, when Thanksgiving abounds in my heart, that I keep my song and I know God better. 
And those are two things I want to make sure are right. That I know him better and I keep my song and I keep shouting the praise and I keep on worshiping. Amen. So this Thanksgiving, what a great resolve would be. Lord, whatever I do for you, I'm going to do it better than I've done it before. I'm going to raise my praise level a little bit, and I'm going to raise my, my, my power in the Holy Spirit. I'm going to raise that some. I'm going to get that number up. Debbie was so distraught one day that last week, and she was just in such an ill mood. And uh, I said, what in the world's wrong with you? She said, I, while I was sick, I forgot to make a payment on on something and my credit score was 831 and it's down to 600 and something. And she was on the computer finding out ways to boost your credit score. I sure hope God isn't keeping credit score books like that. But if you have a low credit score with God, here's the way to raise it. Keep singing your song. Keep maintaining your testimony. Keep living a godly life. And keep praising. And if you'll keep praising and keep living good, your score will go up. Thank you, God, for letting us be in your house today. And thank you so much for the Apostle Paul's admonition and his information to us about how to live a godly life and how to be thankful and how to be grateful. And, oh, Lord, out of the bottom of our hearts this morning, we praise you and glorify you and we magnify you with every fiber of our being. Help us this Thanksgiving season, Lord, to celebrate with our family and our friends the goodness of God and realize that we need to keep singing his song and we keep praising and keep worshiping. Dismiss us now from this place and give us a safe holiday without the loss of one person. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.